Folks, I have a podcast episode tip for you. We have a great show at Earwolf called Who Charted, and there's an Earwolf favorite on their latest episode, the one and only Jason Manzukas. You know him from How Did This Get Made, from The League, from just being great at comedy. Already an excellent show, particularly great guest. I highly recommend that episode of Who Charted if you've never checked it out. And subscribe to Who Charted in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The long-awaited new novel from author Salman Rushdie, The Golden House, is on sale now. The Golden House is a thrilling, page-turning mystery that is equal parts The Great Gatsby and The Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a modern epic about love, loss, immigration, and reinvention. Buy your copy of The Golden House now, available wherever books are sold. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also noticing that basically every new movie is about one of two groups of co-workers. Have you noticed that? In 2017, the Marvel and DC cinematic universes are what movies exist to document. Whole art form is wall-to-wall tales of mutant super co-workers. And that is so literally true now. We're at a point where the best part of the Thor Ragnarok trailer is Thor saying this about the Hulk. We know each other. He's a friend from work. The entire art of film, all movies, is now two comic book things. The Avengers Day Jobs and the Justice League's way, way Saturday jobs for some reason. Anyway, that's weird, right? Because comic books are about so much more than Iron Man punching the clock or Superman crying. They are a massive art form with all kinds of options, and that's what today's episode of the Cracked Podcast is all about. We are talking about the exciting, limitless, creatively satisfying potential of comic books as movies. And the opportunity for comic book movies to be about regular people, or about awesomely twisted super beings, or about the entire history of America and life on Earth, if we let them. We're going to cover everything from total reimaginings of existing heroes to totally new concepts, because we ought to use Hollywood's production muscle for something besides taking Captain America and CGIing literal muscles onto and off of him. There's other ways we can go. This is a fun episode, it's a creative episode, and it's an episode with two good-ass guests. I am joined by Cracked's resident comic book store, Hanger Out Inners. Nope. No, that that cannot be the term for that. Uh, Okay, okay, pushing through, pushing through. Get to their names. The resident Hanger Outer Inners. They are Cracked Layout Chief Randall Maynard and Cracked Resident Misanthrope Michael Swaim. Fun fact, Michael Swaim's professional email signature lists his job title as resident misanthrope. His work emails say that. Do business with him. It is a good time. Anyway, anyway, please sit back or strap into the spaceship sending you from your dying home world to Earth. They need podcasts, man. Anyway, please enjoy this episode with Michael Swaim and Randall Maynard and the way comic book movies could be. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I am joined in the studio by Michael Swaim. Hi, comics. Yeah, that's his voice. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Randall Maynard. Hey, how you doing? All yeah. right. Oh, he no carried one, the uh, bit from before recording into the recording. Yep. No one will <laughs> no, be themselves. This is how I talk. To I apologize to everyone. 
I'm really excited for this episode. You guys both kind of brought in the idea of talking about comic books that had ought to be movies that nobody's looking at because we're also focused on making comic book movies out of Avengers and DC characters. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But when you see the eighth iteration of Spider-Man's origin story, if you've dug deeper into comic book world, you can't help but like your brain just lights up with amazing arcs from indie comics and graphic novels and things that you're like, well, that would be better than the seventh version of <laughs> Spider-Man's origin story. It's funny too, because we're kind of, we're kind of hitting that same thing that comics hit after a while where that actually did happen. It was like after so many reboots within the, the history of the characters, like they would constantly be retelling, not only retelling the same stories because they are re- yeah. repetitive. They are saying they're, <laughs> they are these generic hero stories that they're telling over and over again. And I'm talking like forties and fifties. You're, you're telling the same story. Well, over and over. Yeah, the further back yeah. you go, the more then, repetitive it was. They, it was yeah, like, but, who's Superman going to punch in the jaw this time? Page 12, he punched him in the jaw. He certainly Good job, did. Superman. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and, then, and not to mention all the retcons that would happen even in continuity of a series itself. Like, they would reboot a series... Like in the eighties, it's like, let's do a massive reboot. We'll reboot everything. Yeah. And then they like screw it up and they're like, shit, we gotta reboot it again. We gotta we gotta keep retconning until we get this right. And then after so many retcons, you want to subvert everything you've ever seen because you're just like, yes. give me anything else and I <laughs> I'll take it. Because and I, yeah. I can't I can't read Superman's origin again. And you are seeing that happen. I agree with things like there's some repetition fatigue or more willingness to like take a chance with Deadpool. But that takes someone like Ryan Reynolds championing it for years personally. But like we are seeing some of the lesser known like Marvel and DC stuff happen. Yeah. But I'm talking this whole universe of superheroes. It's like saying gangster rap is all of rap. Like comics are just a series of panels that can be anything in the way a movie can be anything. So what's crazy to me is we're still pigeonholing all the comic book adaptations for the most part to like what I equate to the WWE caliber of comic books where it's like which force is going to beat the immovable object, good versus evil. Classic themes that I love, but like I brought a comic today about a guy trying to come to terms with the fact that his father abandoned him at the 1900 World's Fair. So like, why right. can't that be a movie? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you worked in that analogy of all gangster rap being rap. I, I had yeah. come in with the analogy of all British historical period dramas. That's all movies. You know, like yeah, yeah sure, some of them win Oscars and are about Queen Elizabeth the first. But we have other movie types. We exactly. can do other things. And comics is that rich. It has that much going on. It's not. Se- it's not seen as a medium. It's like the medium gets immediately fused with a genre. So you go like, oh comics equals superheroes and it's like well no that's all the, right like, some of the best comics i've ever read i mean like they've turned into really great movies too like yeah. and people don't know because it's kind of on the down low like they, they don't really go like they don't emphasize like that road to perdition was a comic book before it was a movie right if and, they do ever adapt what? one that's just like a basic story they're always like don't men don't make a big deal of it that it's from a comic yeah yeah who did the Who did the Road to Perdition? Max, uh, not to put you on the spot, but uh, I, I didn't know it was a comic book at all. That's yeah, amazing. more interesting than that. Well, I know that I know yeah, who gives a fuck. I know <laughs> no, 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 no. The same story, but I know the original backstory is there's a classic manga called Lone Wolf and Cub oh, yeah. about like a Ronin wandering samurai who just has a baby to care for, slaughters anyone who gets in their path, and eventually brings down the shogunate that cast him out of blah blah blah. Awesome. This guy, Max, Max Allen Collins. Max Allen Collins did wow. a truly beautiful, the art is 
like photorealistic phenomenal comic that was a, a spiritual adaptation of Lone Wolf and Cub called Road to Perdition, and that's the movie, and no one knows that because who cares? Yeah. Well, yeah. we it's care, crazy. but yeah. like the movie, the people producing the movie act like that's not going to get butts in seats. Who cares that it was a comic? Yeah, the mm-hmm. same thing. My my brother one time as a present got me the graphic novel of A History of Violence, oh, which yeah. is a movie with Viggo Mortensen, but I had no idea it was a comic. I was like, he knew I liked the movie, and he was like, check out the graphic novel. And I was like, they do graphic novels about just people? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you assume it was adapted the other way. You're yeah, like, right. Oh, someone made a graphic novel? No. Of History yeah, of it Violence. Was the that thing. Would, that'd be such a weird specific thing to yeah. do. <laughs> but <laughs> like, but also with comics, I think they deserve even more credit, because like when you adapt a book, and obviously you can adapt a comic and throw it out and do whatever you want, yeah. but... When you are adapting a comic, if you stay at all true to it, it's literally a visual medium that's one step away from a storyboard, which is a tool a lot of filmmakers use to envision the movie. (laughs) So, like, more than a book, if it's adapted from a comic, the comic deserves credit. Right. It should be known that it was from a comic because the the writer-artist of that comic laid the movie out. Real clearly, <laughs> it's so easy to adapt a comic for film, and it's 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 really like I mean, there's a literal version of that, which is like Sin City, which was they they practically used the comic as a storyboard for the movie in a yeah. ridiculous way, where it was like, I mean, I, I liked the first Sin City, I thought it was a lot of fun. I only liked the uh, Yellow Bastard segment. I liked Marv. Clive Owens. I was forgot. Just boring I completely forgot Clive Owens. He's just shooting some people story. in a zoo or something. <laughs> Amazing look, and, though. Yeah. yeah. I forgot to tell you. Yeah, he him. was. He had him a boring a bunch segment. Of hookers. Yeah. Shooting people. You're right. Marv is also good, but well, but Marv Bruce is. Willis is. Mm. That's a good part of that movie. But yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't. We With but, Watchmen too, they it was. There's a lot of times where you're like, if you read Watchmen, you're like. Huh, he really got it to freeze frame at like a frame I clearly remember. Somehow didn't make it good. Like I it somehow was still soulless. It was I, I would have weird. traded all the freeze frames for a movie that made sense as an adaptation of that book. I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna get yeah. hate for that, but I just like that that thematically did not feel like the same story. Well, what's weird to me is I agree with you completely on a gut level, but it's always been something I don't know how to explain because that movie basically only uses shots from the comic book and dialogue from the comic book. But somehow in condensing it down, they like made every bad choice to make spirit, it bad. Well, <laughs> well, it reminded me, the best way that I could tell you emotionally how it felt to watch it, and this is totally subjective, but it felt like watching a remake of Taxi Driver directed by Michael Bay. It was like, this is supposed to be like a really ugly, real story. And Michael Bay thinks this movie's cool. Sure. Like he and he's like, what do you want? He shot the guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he blew he the guy's hand He saved the girl. Up. What yeah. do you want? We spent $40 million <laughs> yeah. on the budget watching a guy's hand explode <laughs> in slow motion and the bullet and it was rendered in CG and it looked, it looked, you know, it was the same thing as the original. It's like, yeah, but that's not what the original was about yeah. it was gross and and nasty and and yes. real and, and the genius ugly. of watchmen was definitely like if superheroes were real it would be awful yeah yeah exactly, exactly. i thought i thought kind of like kick ass i thought the point was there's a guy named the comedian so he's hilarious right, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. that's the deal that's what that's about oh we all know you find rape very funny but that's like that's your purview that's not my bag <laughs> Oh, no. Maybe let's get into the list. <laughs> let's uh, do it. Michael, you mentioned someone ditching their child at the 1900 World's Fair. Oh, you want to start Sounds there? like a rip and yarn. Okay. That's a good segue because I just said something really dark and this is even worse. Like, it's going to go down <laughs> from here. Let me uh, 
You're just going to read the whole graphic novel? Let me rifle through. Well, I just want people to know I brought the, my books. Yeah, for real. And that's, right. uh, well, I pitch it a little bit. You guys can look at it because my big thing with comics, if you care to, optional. My big thing with comics is I also need the art style to be somewhat unique. I've never been a big Marvel or DC guy. I like am obsessed with the concept of the characters and would spend all recess talking about would Spider-Man beat the Hulk, but reading them's boring as shit. And so I fell very deeply in love with graphic novels, which is like a weird way we just say a comic that's not pigeonholed in the way we just described. Yeah. Yeah. Like if a comic is not your traditional superhero comic, it gets called a graphic novel or an indie mm. or something. Because also, I remember initially getting into comics through graphic novels, and then after that, I started to get more into week-to-week comics, and I realized, oh, a lot of graphic novels were written to be just this form, and a lot of week-to-week superhero stuff, they really are just cliffhangering you every week, like Dickens or something. It's a very, very different approach. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's a like your classic TV show format which we've kind of drifted away from, versus a movie. So Jimmy Corrigan, The Smartest Kid on Earth by Chris Ware, is a movie, and I think it should be a movie. And I specifically think it should be a Kaufman movie, a Charlie Kaufman movie, because I know he would take a lot of liberties with it, and it really digs down into, like, what are things sequential art as a medium can do that you literally can't do in film. So, like, on a page, you'll have a character in a panel in the upper right do something that interacts with a panel below them, which breaks, you couldn't show that in a movie because you'd have to cut forward in time and cut back. And you'd be like, are you trying to imply there's like a portal gun in this movie? And you're like, no, but on a comic page, it's just magical realism. Like it just happened because it happened and you don't feel the need to be like, wait, is there a portal gun that gets him through the panel? (laughs) You Um, also, you have it in front of us here. And I don't know how well people at home know Chris Ware, but he does so much experimentation with the shapes and sizes and order of panels and I think almost everything he does, it's fantastic. And yet always rigidly, rigidly geometric. So yeah, he loves the grid to be intensely square. They look like basically a Color Sunday comic strip, Yeah, which is kind of not doing the art justice because I'm like, yeah, it looks kind of like Peanuts or something, but it is the deepest, most fucked up, like, bedroom drama I've ever encountered. And it's perfect for Charlie Kaufman because it's basically the story of Jimmy Corrigan who is schlubby, balding, virgin, office worker dude with okay. nothing in his life. Charlie Kaufman, every Charlie Kaufman character. Yeah. But then but then he gets <laughs> he gets bitten by the radioactive animal, right? Right, and then, exactly. Yes. And then on from there. And then his punching gets so good, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it basically just follows his life and like why he's so sad and pathetic and unpacks the trauma, the ripples of trauma that go all the way back to your great-grandparent abandoned your dad at the World's Fair. So he was a shitty dad. So your dad was alcoholic to fill that void. So he was so mad at you as as a youth that now you grow up to be this totally meek, pathetic guy who can't stand up for himself. So so the abandonment (laughs) doesn't even happen to Jimmy. It happens to previous generations of his family. Right. And it's so experimental that like sometimes it's unclear. Are we going back in time and that really happened? Or is this Jimmy's imagination of what happened? Or is this a dream sequence and it's not resolved? Um, So it's sort of this kaleidoscopic journey through... It's like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty if he was like as sad as Walter Mitty is hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> the like, inverse Walter exactly. Mitty. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like a guy with a very powerful <laughs> imagination 
deeply digging into why is my life so sad? Oh, these are all the reasons. I'm going <laughs> to fantasize about all these things. It's got like a Birdman feel. There's a superhero version of him in his head that he'll dream of like saving the girl he has a crush on at work. And then he'll flash immediately. Like this is a quintessential scene to me. Then it'll flash back immediately to... That reminds him of a time when he was little and his single mom, who had dudes stay over sometimes, had a dude stay over who the day before he had seen at the mall pretending to be like Superman for the kids to interact with. And that's when he realized that superheroes aren't real because Superman just fucked his mom and like came out in his underwear and was like, (laughs) your mom's good, uh, really helped save the city, kid. Here's a like a you know defender ring. You can call me whenever you want. And he's like <laughs> sitting there playing with his defender ring. And the mom comes out and is like, "Where's that guy? I thought he was gonna stay for breakfast." And he's like, "He had to fly away. Look at the cool ring I got." Oh, and so God. like it's just that kind of depressing. Oh, huh. it's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. like it, that plot line is like all of Watchmen happening within another comic. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's all the personal parts of Watchmen that are yeah. fucked up with none of the fighting or superheroing. <laughs> uh, he's just a guy working in a cubicle thinking about how his life sucks. Yeah. But it has like a mildly hopeful ending. And I do think it goes out of its way to sort of capture, you know, the highs and lows of life and everything and all its beauty. Yeah. It's one of those movies where you're like, well, that movie covered everything. That's like pretty much everything. That's yeah. a, it's a, it sounds like almost like a classic epic that you wouldn't see a lot these days. Now like, even though it's a yeah. small, like, like, it's a character story, but it would have this, like, sweeping sort of, like, yeah. larger scope that you wouldn't see in, like, most character films. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't know Charlie Kaufman's of adaptation fame, and the reason, like, he calls to me is Chris Ware's also so experimental with the form in ways that you couldn't do in a movie, but he'd find something that's analogous. You know what I mean? You need someone who messes with the grammar of filmmaking right. to like capture it. Because, for example, on the back, the copyright on the back of the comic book is a comic explaining how like the story was written and then trees were chopped down and made into paper and then he went to a lawyer's <laughs> office and copyrighted it and here's the copyright. Oh, so, like, so cute. Everything's a comic. He's a cute little cherub yeah. in the copyright. There's oh, pages okay. inside that you're supposed to cut apart and fold into models and you're like this is Jimmy's childhood home and it's like a depressing little shack and you make a paper model of it it's like contemplate that for five minutes then go to chapter two stuff like that very cool Chris Ware Jimmy Corrigan the smartest kid on earth yeah well I also I want to pick out randomly you said it feels like an older kind of epic that's I feel like that's right on and that also is something that it seems like movies in general have gotten away from a bit. Like on Crack Movie Club, uh, Tom and Abe, especially when they did Jaws, they talked about how pre the 1970s blockbuster hit movies were a lot different. Well, they didn't exist really. And then Jaws and Star Wars made it so, oh, blockbusters are these massive, crazy, action-packed things that are especially good for teens usually. Mm -hmm. But before that, the highest grossing movies ever made were things like Gone with the Wind, The Godfather. Kramer versus Kramer about an ugly divorce. Like just a legal drama about parents getting divorced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I, I feel like we're only a few decades removed from this story made by Charlie Kaufman being the number one movie in America for a month. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The resurgence of the the, the, the sweeping character drama that's yeah. based on only tragic real <laughs> yeah. world events. Yeah. And there's a generation of American novels a little before that where it's like the only thing we did was write sprawling epics of the three generations of Americans like struggling. 
Yeah. And we still, I mean, Jonathan Franzen, it verges on that, but they're great. Yeah. I'd love to see uh, Freedom, the Franzen novel made into a movie, but we won't. We'll make more Spider-Mans. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take away my yeah. Spider-Mans with your bullshit <laughs> yeah. novels. There's room for all of it, I think. <laughs> I like both. It really His is. eyes move now. Yeah. Well, it's a whole new game. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Also, one thing, one thing we touched on before, and also now, Spider-Man itself. There have been a lot of reboots of it. I really enjoyed Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah. I thought that was a really, really good Spider-Man movie. And so then, as I was watching it, I had two thoughts at the same time. At one, on one hand, I was thinking like, they made the third Spider-Man origin story I've seen in my lifetime really neat and really good. And then also I was thinking like, oh, these very, very talented people, what if we gave them something original? Like, what if we just let them run with something, you know? Yeah. Like, they're working under so many parameters of what Spider-Man is, how the Avengers have to fit in, what's been done twice before with Spider-Man lately. Well, I mean, the title of the film is a wink to like, Behind the scenes yeah. legal proceedings. Yeah. Imagine if in the Gone with the Wind era that you were expected to understand who owned the property of the film to fully understand all the <laughs> We're at a level of sophistication where your average fan has to know so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I liked Homecoming a lot, because I think it did gloss by the origin story very quickly, quite intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really zipped through it. Yeah. yeah. What you need to do yeah. nowadays. <laughs> And also partly set it up in Ultron, I think. You know, like there's yeah. a lot of, they're so limited with it's what kind crazy. of story they can do. Yeah. And they did something great. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah, there was, yeah. I, I liked how it paid off a lot of fun stuff too. It was like, instead of just being uh, something that existed in its own world and they tried to keep away from the Marvel stuff, like yeah. they actually embraced it and were like, sure. here's what the collateral damage would do to people. And it's not just death. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's... A matter of like people capitalizing on it and yeah. and stuff like that and making their own crazy shit and like changing the world in real subtle ways and also yeah. low level crime and all that kind of bullshit that Spider Man has to deal with and I I really enjoy that part of it. It really played on a different level than the other movies, but it still had the scope it needed, I guess, to be still yeah. be a blockbuster. Like inventive superheroics. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Randall, Look, it was good, but Spider-Man gets enough attention. I know. Back to our <laughs> Back comics. To, this is a Spider-Man podcast. Now. <laughs> we will be, but first okay. an ad for Spider-Man. No, I'm just kidding. Randall, Let's all talk about our favorite scenes from Spider-Man. <laughs> well, were you going to bring up Invincible? Because yeah, if we're talking you... about the realistic ramifications of superpowers, that's yeah. a good place yeah, see, to go. I was gonna, My pitch was Invincible. <laughs> Invincible starts off as a, a, a coming-of-age story that's really, really um, well-worn territory of like – Oh, it's a kid who has a normal family and, you know, I don't remember what his mom does. I'm going to blame Robert Kirkman for that. That's not that's not me being sexist. He he, he doesn't distinguish what she does for a living nearly enough, I all don't right. think. Uh, and, but, this, and this is written all by Robert Kirkman? This or? is Robert Kirkman, yeah. the guy who wrote and created uh, The Walking Dead yeah. mm. and I think The Talking Dead. Yeah, and the Dead Poets Society, <laughs> and I'll come out. And the de- no, I sorry, I, I just, just want to come out the gate hard and fast, saying Invincible is infinitely more interesting to me than The Walking Dead, and I've read both completely. Invincible is what they should have adapted first. It's amazing. It's it's really cool, and it's like it's really unrelenting. That's one of the things yeah. about the the book that I could say, like the 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 one word to, to describe Invincible like is relentless. Just, yeah, just unrelenting. A la Watchmen, it's a if you haven't read it at all, it's analogous to the Avengers universe or the Defenders universe. So you know very quickly, oh, we're going to meet more and more superheroes because there's this famous superhero team. And almost like Venture Brothers, 
uh, yeah. the Adult Swim show, you are constantly blown away by how many great superhero concepts they're just reeling off yeah. that didn't <laughs> exist before that they're just going to throw away like yeah. Watchmen does. You know, yeah. they're not even trying to like marvel it out and make a million dollars off this character. They're just like, here's a team of 12 superheroes. They all have interesting backstories and superpowers. Then they all die. Yeah, exactly. You're like, holy shit. I feel, Venture Brothers, now, I haven't read this comic. Venture Brothers is an interesting touchstone to me. Like, could you give this to full on comedy people and let them run with it as a movie? No. In fact, I think that the humor would be more of just a relief from the, <laughs> okay. the insane, the heavy, I want to call it the heavy yeah. drama. We'll explain but the central conflict yeah. with the dad. Cause so, it's not so, funny. <laughs> no, it's not. And so like the first, I, I would say this would, this would, this, a lot of people throw around trilogy, but I would say if I was going to condense any comic series into a trilogy, it would have to be invincible. The thing is, it has to be character centric. And the themes that I could extract from it are family and legacy. And that's an interesting thing because when it starts out, it's this normal average family with the high school, the main character's name is Mark Grayson, who's just an average high school student. But his dad tells him at a young age, like he he, he doesn't bury the lead. He tells yeah. him when he's a little kid. Hey, young Mark, one day you're going to grow up and you're going to get superpowers and it's going to be really uh, interesting for you. Analogous to Superman. Flight, yeah. super punching. His dad is basically well, his Superman. His dad is Superman. Yeah, it's an analog. He's, yeah. he's named Omni-Man and he's like the <laughs> Superman of this world. And he tells his son, yeah, you're going to be like me one day and it's going to be awesome and just be ready for that because that's yeah. going to happen. And, and it's for the same reason. You come from a proud but doomed alien people. So we have, we're just stronger evolutionarily than everyone else in the universe. And <laughs> And he tells the kid, we as like a civics project go out and assign a single defender to planets. And I'm, you know, Earth yeah, is my territory. Yeah, we come from a peaceful race of, of, you know, it wasn't, there's no destruction or tragedy behind right. it. Right. It's just this peaceful race of aliens that send off protectors to We the achieved planets. perfection, so we figured we'd go protect everyone else while they develop. The reveal in the comic is that there's the, the guardians of the globe who are the Justice League. Uh, who are basically exactly the Justice League. They, and we've gotten a little time to get to know them, and they're likable. Yeah, they're, the, they're, these, <laughs> oh, they're these great, you know, the yeah. super friends type characters who are all cool, and they, they all get an alert to go to their headquarters, and this mysterious figure shows up, and quite violently murders all of them. Like Rips them apart with his bare hands. Yeah, <laughs> like blood everywhere, rips them apart, and then the big reveal is that it's Mark's father, Omni-Man. Who has uh, murdered the entire Justice League, Justice League, aka no. Guardians of the Globe? Great. Which uh, to me, it's like whoever's making this movie, <laughs> make that the ending of the movie because that would get that would guarantee my ticket to the next one. <laughs> or uh, you mean the ending of Part One? Maybe uh, Part One, but that's like the no, inciting incident. No, no, no. I know. know no, I, I'm joking yeah. that that's the ending. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I'm saying yeah. in, a, in a different world, that would be an amazing. Well, ending that's to the like end of movie. an issue, and you're no, immediately was... like, I have to buy the next issue right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also, um, and since this movie would exist in the real world where there's all kinds of marketing and tie-ins and stuff, I would almost want them to market it as if all those Guardians are, like, the characters you'll know forever. Oh, yeah, like, right. they're on the 7-Eleven cup Lunch and the Dr. Peppers. Here's the version of Aquaman is hilarious. He's just that fish guy. Yeah, he never yeah. has anything he's to do. He's literally a fish. He yeah. just, like, he's in, his, he's in his throne and he's just, it's quiet in the ocean and then he gets called and he's like, ooh, and he's I excited. I better go. Something's <laughs> yeah. happening. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, like, that, that would not definitely, we, we, you know, you wouldn't, that would have to be something you'd introduce right away because I think a savvier audience would know that something was going on because it's too clean. It's too clean cut in a movie. Well, it's for... too much of a ripoff of Superman, like in a generic way, if something doesn't become a twist. Yeah. Because the beginning is yeah. really, when I started reading it, I was like, did my friend trick me into reading four issues of like 
just a ripoff of Superman? What am I reading? But then when the kid develops superpowers, finds out his dad's alien race is actually evil and wants to conquer all the planets, and he's just here to conquer the planet, you know, it becomes intensely upsetting and it's upsetting for the rest of the time because yep. the, all the Mark <laughs> wants is to wrap his head around how his father could do that to the earth, to his mom. Do you love me? He's like, well, I love you because you're immortal and have superpowers. And he's like, but that's the only reason? Like, you don't love my – like, yeah. I don't. You told me to be loyal to all my family. And he's like, right, but I meant just me because I'm your only family because yeah. you're an alien like me. And yeah, because he's, like, he's telling him like – No, fuck you, dad. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and they really get into it. I think this would be like an incredible movie because – it's a third act of a movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a third act of like a whole story. It's like almost like playing Return of the Jedi at the third act of the first film. Yeah. And you'd be like, wait a minute, where is this going to go? What What is happening? Like, what, what is going on? And then they really do really get into it. And it is a nasty fight. And, and Mark stands no chance against his father, who's way more powerful than he is. Yeah. Uh, and basically leaves him for dead. When you said it's sort of like Return of the Jedi, like you're diving into Act 3, I feel like the ongoing massive super team-ups that are all movies do that setup work for you. The fact that we've watched Avengers come together and are now watching Justice League come together, everybody knows that backstory. Oh, yeah. It's a cultural myth that we're all like, oh, yeah, of course I understand seven or so empowered humans all coming together. Totally. Yeah. St it's a standard as a fella falling in love. You <laughs> yeah, know? Exactly. I That's, get it. It's part of our vocabulary. That's yeah. why like Force Awakens was like the entire trilogy crammed into one movie. Yeah. Almost yeah. as like a recap. Like, remember, this is what Star Wars is. And you're like, fuck it. Yeah, when we, and if we're if we're going fully close to existing superheroes, one comic I would be interested in seeing as a movie is Red Sun, which sure, is yeah. an actual Superman story, but it's sort of like DC Elseworlds. I don't know if it's officially one, but it's a story it's where yeah. the premise is that Superman's alien capsule thingy falls in the USSR instead of in Kansas. In so. Soviet Russia, <laughs> yeah. Superman turns evil. <laughs> I thought you were going full yeah. spirit off there, but you did not. I was trying, yeah. No, I couldn't think of a thing that you then yeah. reverse and it's the other thing. Yeah. Bird planes you Man, or something. Man is super. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it also is sort of like Invincible. It was written by Mark Millar, who a lot of his comics have become movies lately yes. i think he did kick yeah. ass and kingsman too i think yeah and so he is somebody who they're drawing going to the well of and if we can convince uh you would have to convince warner and dc and so on to be okay with making superman a agent of the ussr before the cold world ended who is in a lot of parts of the book lobotomizing dissidents yeah that's pretty tough but it's a fascinating what if and it's a really cool it's, I think it's a really cool way to flip everybody we've gradually gotten to know over a string of Superman and Justice well, League build-up movies. Also, yeah. in the real world, our relationship to Russia, which used to be obsolete, like they are not yeah. our cultural enemy. Now they are again. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Right, in pop right. culture, Russia now is scary again to us, which they weren't for a while. Mm -hmm. So it's the perfect time for it. It would have a lot more punch than if it came out 15 years ago when we were like, Russia's not even a thing I think about very much <laughs> yeah. anymore, you know? Yeah, you're like, Russia, that's like old people school go, James Bond yeah. shit, and you're like, oh. People have Russia whoops. on the brain now. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the cardinal rules of movies that I think makes that tough is everyone looks like what they're supposed to look like, like the good guy's handsome and the bad guy's not as handsome. <laughs> By definition here, you would have to have, like, who would you cast as Superman? Because well, you that, want him to yeah. look threatening to your American audience, but Superman is handsome. He has to be handsome. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, the, that's the crazy thing about the, the story, though, is that there's a reversal that happens if you keep it 
the similar to the book where he starts off as almost the hero of the book and then accidentally becomes the enemy. So it's almost like a citizen Kane sort of swap where it's sure. like at the beginning, he's like, Oh, he's just an innocent kid. And then, Oh no, he's kind of an aggressive businessman, but he's not evil. And then by the end, he's like crazy yeah. and whatever. And blah, blah. Yeah. So it's like, uh, Oh yeah. Godfather's <laughs> a better parallel. I went a little too far back. Well, cause it, yeah, it's a, it's a book where Lex Luthor becomes the president of the U S which happens in a few other, like there's an yeah. entire just Lex is president. Cause they always got to fight no matter what, uh, like yeah. you have yeah. to contrive that Lex Lex is his yeah. enemy still, okay. And, uh, and Brainiac <laughs> starts out on the U.S.'s side, then he ends up on the Russian side and goes back and forth. Like, there's a lot of side switching. So it is, it is also difficult to line up exactly who the hero is from time to time. Mm-hmm. But I do think casting-wise, you would want to, you would want to play off what we've got. Either you would want to cast everybody who is these parts in the existing uh, Superman movies, because mm-hmm. all of the Superman characters and Justice League characters pretty much are in this, just living in this different world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Either you would want to use everybody, and then it's like, oh, see, an alternate Henry Cavill, because we all love Henry Cavill. Or you do totally different casting completely, and it's its, its own thing. That's interesting. But I think you would want a cool, handsome mm-hmm. Superman Anyway, even though he's fighting. Well, I haven't read that one. So if he's not, if he doesn't just become evil because he's in the Soviet Union, good. Then you know that's not a problem. It's actually more of like a tragedy. It's moral gray. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's interesting that way. He lands in the in Russia, and he still has. There's kind of two layers of his values. Like he picks up an upper layer of Soviet values instead of American values, but he still has a base level of wanting to do the right thing and wanting to be a good person. And so he does that within like weird totalitarian aspects, but also equalization of wealth aspects. So like through Superman's work, they build a Soviet Union where there's no unemployment and there's no famine and there's a lot of good things going on. But also it demands extremely rigid control over everyone's lives. So it's not good, but Mm. it's like, oh, given a good person in a bad system, you would get this like middling thing. Yeah. Run by a weird alien god. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And why not at this point? Let's have it. (laughs) yeah the movie and maybe in real life hey there enterprising listeners are you hiring do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates well finding great talent can be tough thankfully with zip recruiter you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click Then, their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, they don't depend on candidates finding you. They find the candidates. That's why over 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com cracked. That's ZipRecruiter.com cracked. And one more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com cracked. Well, 
Well, I still feel like we are enabling the culture of genre pigeonholing here. You guys are only talking about superhero or superhero analogs. I know, I know. That's 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 I want to hear like, unrelated shit. Yeah. Why, my, is it too related to talk about Scud? Is that because that's I, another superhero where it's? I know I'm not gonna have time to talk from. about everything I brought. Scud has to happen because it's my favorite comic of all yeah. time. Let's get into let's get into more non superhero things if we can. Let's yeah. Uh, yeah. There's one. Have you guys ever seen Asterios Polyp? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's A Serious Polyp. It's a book. It's from 2009. It's by a guy named David Mazzucchelli, who did Batman Ooh, Year One. Yeah, and has done great. a lot of Daredevil comics. So he's done a lot of superhero work. Superhero. He did blankets, but, too. <laughs> no, I'm just setting him up. This is a book. It's about a professor of architecture who has never actually built a building. He's just mm-hmm. known for designs that no one has ever made. And it's following him, but also following his love life and his overall life and it's sort of modeled after the odyssey he goes on sort of a journey as his life comes apart and comes back together and he also is of partly greek descent and they work in greek gods and it becomes sort of mystical in that way and then also the way it's drawn is really 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 cool because they blow out the idea of him being interested in architecture and how lines work and so in every frame Asterios, the main character, will be one kind of very sharp delineated lines, and then other people will be other shapes or other... Uh, there's even people who are just made out of letters or people who are made out mm. of stacks of computers because mm. that's their personality. Yeah. And so it's all about how we interact with each other and how we change each other as we bounce off each other. And it's very thinky, and I would I think it would be a cool like Oscar movie. Be I, great. Pic- I picture well, yeah, opening that book at Barnes & Noble and realizing that you dropped acid before you read it. <laughs> so it's a completely different experience for me. Like it's just a straightforward comic about an architect, oh, right? And I like was... you read it under the influence. So I'm like, wait a minute, Alex, you do? I just had a copy of Moby Dick. And I well, made that this is up. the question: is if it were a movie, how would you do what you just described? Are we talking CG, animated movie? Yeah, I think it would actors be actors in letter costumes, <laughs> all so of Sesame it Street. Be, it would be live action. But also it would be a lot of CG and a lot of effects to try to just warp live action shots into something interesting as he interacts with people and things like change. Like a scanner darkly kind of thing, like just kind of weird. Yeah. Like, like not not the same not effect, but animated, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, you wouldn't you're rotoscope using... it, but it would be along those lines. And some I shit. think I would have Todd Haynes direct it. I don't know if you guys know Todd Haynes' stuff. But he did uh, Far From Heaven and he did I'm Not There, which is that Dylan biopic where Dylan's yeah. multiple people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he also, super, super early in his career, he did a, a movie that was Karen Carpenter's biography from the mm-hmm. music group The Carpenters. And Oh, what was the name of that movie? I think it was just called The Karen Carpenter Story or something like okay. that. Okay. My dad showed it to me when I was little. It was really good. Because the movie, it's not live action. It's made with Barbies as yeah, all the I've characters. Yeah, I've seen this. I've seen and that. And so they move around the Barbies, and like they want to do Karen Carpenter's anorexia, so they whittled down the Barbies to yeah. be skinnier. And, they, and it's the trippiest approach to doing just the biography of a real person who was a musician ever. And I think he's an inventive enough person that he could take this kind of story that's about like academic people having thoughts and falling in love mm. and make it really 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 fun and vibrant like the comic is because the comic yeah. moves like it's not a hard read at all even though it's it has a lot to do with philosophy and architecture and adults falling in and out of love yeah. mm-hmm. I could see Michelle Gondry also maybe taking that looking at looking at the artwork yeah. yeah yeah 
Although he's a band in America, unfortunately. Yeah, well, yeah. He's after, like officially said he's just going to make French movies. After the Green Hornet, it. I think he had to. Is that, he, was that the straw that broke the, I thought it was Be Kind Rewind. It was Green Hornet. I think it was, I think Green Hornet came out after that. And that might I know it did. I didn't know have, he did Green Hornet. Yeah, That's I nuts. think that broke him. Because it like, broke me. So if I, if it broke me, I can't imagine what it did to him. <laughs> Yeah. All right. If I may climax, <laughs> reach the climax of my climax. list. If I may climax, <laughs> ironically, not going to bring up Bone, which was on the list. But if I may climax with Scud the Disposable Assassin, this has long been my favorite comic book. It is undisputedly my favorite comic book. I liked it before any of you knew any of the stuff related to it. And here's what I mean. <laughs> everyone knows Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub now. Well, everyone knows Dan Harmon. Cool people know Rob Schraub. They were creative partners all the way back in, I believe, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yep. And I was buying issue by issue Rob Schraub's comic book, Scud the Disposable Assassin, out of Fireman Press, having it mailed to me at that time. I cannot even remember how I discovered it because it wasn't available at comic stores. It doesn't, it's as indie as there can be. Yeah. Maybe you were a big fan of missiles. Yeah, I somehow, I think the art got me. <laughs> Rob Schraub's art style, and you know them from that. They also did Monster House. Rob Schraub directed a lot of the Sarah Silverman program. And but, they did uh, Channel 101 together, if people don't know that. Yes. That's a long-running kind of DIY pilot TV thing in yes. L.A. and New York. Yes, and they both blown up. I still think Rob needs to blow up further, but... Well, wait for that Lego movie, too. Oh, is he on that? He's cool. It. Oh, good for him. Great. Oh, no Congrats, way. Rob. But I remember, like, tracking him down <laughs> at tiny little comic conventions and being like, you're the best guy. And all he... He wasn't making movies. He just had a comic he drew, and he had issues in his backpack you could buy. And it's fucking incredible. It's really it's really great, yeah. <laughs> the art style, the best way I can describe it, uh, and I'm stealing this from a critic, but is hyperkinetic. In every panel, the primary focus is on showing you what the movement of the character is. Like, people are nonstop flipping around in this world, and yeah. it, it's even more awesome looking than it sounds when I say that. But what usually convinces people to read it is, here's the basic breakdown of the plot. In the future, there are robotic assassins readily available from vending machines. You put three francs in. Frankenstein has become the currency of the future. You put three francs in, and a robot comes out. That robot's called Scud the Disposable Assassin. And the reason they're called disposable is you only get to tell them, kill this one target. They kill that thing or person, then they, they die. They self-destruct. We follow the very first Scud unit that something happens and it becomes aware that that's its fate, right? Uh, yeah, I know, but I, okay, every okay, detail okay, doesn't okay. matter. All right, all right. But the main, key, the key point is that it realizes that that's its situation, and Scud, his target is a creature called Jeff who has a plug for a head, mouse traps for hands, and a squid belt, and is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Or might be the mother of the four horsemen of the apocalypse because she has four eggs. Anyway, his task is to kill Jeff and the eggs. Instead, he blows off Jeff's arms and legs, puts her on life support, and then it becomes like a long-running series where he does assassinations to pay the life support bills <laughs> to keep his target alive. But he ends up getting involved with the robot mafia. Like the imagination <laughs> and world building is intense to a degree that is unparalleled. Wow. Um, Voodoo Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin, who's secretly been keeping himself alive all this time through the use of dark magic, <laughs> makes a pact with an ancient time-traveling AI program called System that is 
the inspiration for Satan, but isn't Satan, um, I, to raise an army of zoo animals from the dead. Wait, <laughs> and then they fight a giraffe who is a mayor and Jane Mansfield's head in a jar and the Smothers Brothers who are Muppets with samurai swords. And all it's like, so I would give it to my, where I end is I'd give it to Edgar Wright. Yeah. Baby Driver, Seems et cetera. Like or yeah. my dream would be I'd give it to Stephen Chow who's Kung Fu oh, Hustle, yeah. oh. Journey to the West, Conquering Demons. Because yeah, as yeah. amazingly kinetic as Edgar Wright can be, so can Stephen Chow. He can also direct the shit out of a martial arts movie, which it largely would become. Yeah. And whereas I feel like almost every American filmmaker will like say, okay, well, don't make this thing a giant squid man that shoots women in the vagina. It's That's one step too weird. We'll make it an evil squid man. Um, Stephen Chow would keep everything exactly as weird as it is. Like, if you've seen Journey to the West Conquering Demons, highly recommend. Chinese culture does not shy away from crazy monsters. So I just think he could really kill it. But also, <laughs> as you were describing all the details and characters, I know it is a real comic, but you could have been making that up. You know what I mean? Like, it played as if yeah. you were just free associating concepts. And that's, and that's what's all yeah. one story. That's, that's so what's cool. great is it, it feels like a Mad Lib plot where someone was almost trying to fuck with you. When right. you're like, well, well, who do they fight? I need a celebrity. A uh, flying, the Smothers Brothers. Yeah, a flying giraffe who's the mayor <laughs> and Jane Mansfield's head in a jar. And you're like, well, okay. So it's just nothing? <laughs> like it's just a bunch of nonsense? Fucking no. It has an incredibly coherent plot with amazing twists. If you know the work of Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon, they fucking know story structure. Yeah. So Rob Schraub can feel yeah. as free as he wants to throw in the craziest shit ever. There's a horse that comes and freezes time and takes them on a ride through five dimensions to spell out the word horse. There's like a D&D dimension <laughs> and then a dimension where countries wage war on each other through action movie gross. It's oh, like, man. it's as insane as it can be. It's and so... yet it's incredibly coherent all the way through. Everything makes total sense. And the behind the scenes stuff is cool because Rob Schraub wrote that to like launch his career. He wrote 20 issues and he told the fans this will end on issue 21. And it was a perfect setup for the ending. Then he proceeded to never work on it again for 15 years or something because I guess secretly it was partially about like the love interest to him was he and his wife at the time and they got divorced and he got a job in L.A. So he moved to L.A. and was like, this is a dark thing for me. I don't want to look back on it. It ended in a place where I was choosing story beats based on how upset I was about my breakup. It's like Scud's doing really fucked up shit because that's how I felt. Ugh. So 15 years later, after he's like happily married again and all settled, he's like, OK, I'll finish it. And he finished it with four issues. So he got it to issue. 25 and the ending's perfect and like it's the most cathartic thing I've probably ever experienced in my life because this was a comic I collected from like age 14 and then it ended on a cliffhanger and then 15 years later the original creator came back and ended it awesomely. It's the <laughs> exact opposite of the Dark Knight Returns and then <laughs> yeah. the Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I also, I when you were describing all the elements of it, I never would have predicted and it was all about the, the creator and his wife. What? Yeah, well one of the best characters <laughs> is Susudio 
a robotophile assassin who is sent to dispatch Scud by his enemies. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just I was remembering the character Drywall too, and I couldn't I couldn't describe him. I was like, uh, Drywall <laughs> is uh, a Pinocchio-like golem made of denim and zippers, who is filled with an extra-dimensional space that can hold an, and sort an infinite amount of material, and he only speaks in the exact way that Woodstock from the Peanuts comic speaks with vertical hashes. Oh yeah. But hot tip for Scud readers. If you think hard about the context, you can tell what Drywall is saying. Each hash mark represents one letter. Work with like the small words like the and a and an, and you can figure out what Drywall is saying. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. So, so I highly recommend Wait. it. finally came out, the compendium, Scud, the whole shebang. That has everything. Yeah, and I can see, I can see those directors you mentioned making it such a thing. Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah. The mayor giraffe amazingly reminded me of one of mine (laughs) uh, that I was going to talk about, which is a book called Pride of Baghdad. And Pride of Baghdad is by Brian K. Vaughn, who a lot of people know from Why the Last Man, Mm -hmm. which has been on and off of the process of being a thing forever. And many, many other superhero comics and other comics. Um, But Pride of Baghdad was a single graphic novel about a partly real story, which is during the Second Iraq War, the Baghdad Zoo, the, the keepers kind of abandoned it for a bit, and a couple of the lions got loose, and they were just roaming around Baghdad trying to figure out life. And then he uses that to do a story about how human philosophy works in relation to war and in relation to whether we take care of each other. And so you're following lions wandering around a hellscape and then all kinds of crazy things happening to them and their backstories and them talking to each other. But it's a metaphor for like real shit, right? Yeah. So in a way you could say you're reading between the lions. Oh, that was all for that, huh? Retracted. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Retracted much like the lion's claws when they... I'm done. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think it would basically be the Lion King plus Apocalypse Now equals this movie. Because it's gritty. Like, there's a panel where a giraffe's head and upper neck gets hit by a bomb and it explodes. (laughs) You just watch that. Like, it's not for kids. It would be incredibly dark. Uh, You'd probably want to animate it so you could tone down the gore in certain sections. But it would be an amazing story to try to do something with. Who do you think you'd cast as the main lion? (laughs) You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. I'm contractually obligated. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would almost want to Matthew Broderick. (laughs) I watch a lot of animation, like especially I I try to go see the Oscar nominated animated shorts when they do they do screenings of that every year around LA. And there's a lot of sort of indie animation directors who will do very dark or thoughtful things. And I think you you just pluck one of them uh, who has the right tone and say, go for it. Yeah. I want to see a feature from Don Hertzfeld, speaking of this year's most recent crop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You yeah, can, that'd yeah. be great. There's also... Probably there's not this story, but... <laughs> the one the one that won the award the year before was one called Bear Story, which was a piece out of Chile that was really about... It was a story told through bears and I one of them was a street performer. Yeah, with the music boxes yeah. and his family. Leaves. And it, yeah. But it's really a story about Chilean dictatorships and how cruelly the population right. was treated. And how people... S- disappear and you have no yeah. recourse yeah i think you would you would give it to somebody like that who can do a really really heartfelt story about a country with a horrible political situation because a lot mm-hmm. of pride of baghdad is about not just iraq at that time but also iraq's past and one line in particular represents uh, people's willingness to accept saddam's regime in place of total chaos when that came around nice yeah 
I've heard of it and I've been meaning to read it. it sounds great. Yeah. It's also not Marvel. having seen the art though. I'm imagining all this in the style of the Madagascar movies. You too. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I was definitely picturing something that was not. It's like way too not cheerful. As yeah. yeah. As what we yeah. should have been. Yeah, it's uh, actually it, the artist. It's sort. It's not the same artist as Why the Last Man, as far as I know. But it's sort of like that in the sense that there's not any leaps as far as the art goes. Mm-hmm. Like it's a pretty direct, just they realistic like drawing yeah. of yeah. what happens and what's going on. I'd bring JTT back as an adult yeah. now. Do a Grady Lion movie. Yeah. Read, oh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas yeah. from Lion King. Yeah. Right. JTT. Yeah. Let's, we, yeah. It, it need not be said. Everyone knows JTT. <laughs> it's Justin Timber Timberlake. <laughs> well, I'm down to honorable mentions, like one-line pitches. But I'd That would be great. Yeah, I want to hit as many books I'd as I'd love to do a little yeah, light around, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm Just to support comics as a medium. Yes. There's a lot you should read. Yeah, why don't you start with one, Michael? Sure. Well, I mentioned Bone in passing, and if you don't know, Bone is a 1,300-page epic fantasy graphic novel that is unique in that it is a mashup of what I would call traditional epic fantasy, like straight out of Lord of the Rings stuff is happening, drawn very realistically. But your three main characters are these things called Bones that look like... Casper the Friendly Ghost, essentially. Uh, like the uncles from Casper. One's yeah. tall and smokes a cigar. One's short and cute. And they're called like Bone, Phone Bone, and Phony Bone. And it's basically a mashup of, because they have this very vaudeville feel of the classic like Charlie Chaplin type characters trying to muddle through a situation. What if they were fighting dragons? <laughs> and no. there was like a skeleton army. And if they didn't succeed, like a civilization was going to be wiped out. What would like Casper the friendly ghost type guy, because he's also, he's just like a naive, nice little guy, the main bone character. What would they, what would they do? It's almost like Dr. Seuss characters in Lord of the Rings. And oh, it was such true. an interesting, weird choice. I've yeah. never seen something that really unites the art styles so brazenly other than like, Tintin is famous for this, and I want to. I'm going to throw out immediately. Everyone should read Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. It will make you oh, deeply yeah. appreciate the medium and like it's so. I read the entire thing in yeah. a sitting. I could not take my eyes away, and now I appreciate things like why letters look the way they do more than anyway. But one of the amazing. I wish, I wish they would make Understanding Comics like a Netflix documentary type thing. It would yeah. Where kill. they, ju- they could they could just directly take the text of it and what happens in it and put it on screen. And animate yeah. it. It's it. endlessly interesting. I yeah. can't overstate how much you will be delighted reading Understanding Comics. Yeah. Um, but one of the central points that they make in it is that a popular thing in comics is the simpler the face of the character all the way down to like a smiley face, right? The more that you think that character represents you or it's just a cipher and you're in the story. Whereas, you know, if you draw a hyper-realistic portrait, you're like, that's not me, that's the Mona Lisa. I'm looking at another person. So the guy who drew Tintin famously, intentionally, wanted a story about an everyman-type character traveling the world but showing how awesome the world is. So he would draw slavishly realistic drawings of like the tapestries and the buildings and shit and Tintin looks like just like a squiggle with Linus eyes and that people were like what could you not draw people it's like no it was a psychological (laughs) tactic right and I think bone is the nth degree of that because it's literally like what if just a stick figure with a smiley face was in fucking Lord of the Rings with CG dragons swooping down? And maybe you don't think that's interesting, but to me it's interesting. So I give it to Peter Jackson. Just let him go for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's they- long enough to be a trilogy. 
for real. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if that would excite him too, because it seems like he started to wear out in the process of The Hobbit on like, oh, this is my fifth or sixth completely serious fantasy film. Yeah. Like to do one that's fun might, uh, really crack might wise, be exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if he's totally over it, I don't know, Robert Rodriguez maybe. But yeah, there might be, you might be hard pressed to get Jackson to commit to another fantasy trilogy ever. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's ever. <laughs> yeah. He's dead inside. Sorry. Randall, how, Sorry, how about you Peter for Lightning? Yeah. I was thinking about Eight Ball, which was this uh, Dan Klaus sort of like anthology series. And I thought it would make a good TV show, which is just a cool. bunch of crazy stories. And it could be, it could straight up be like a cartoon. I mean, it could be pretty simple stuff. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, the animation wouldn't have to be very sophisticated, yeah. but it would be cool to see it done really well, like, like more closer to traditional animation rather than, like, Flash stuff, like, like really just getting into it. It'd be cool if different animators did it, I don't know, because it would probably be, like, a limited series, so you could do, like, ah, hey, it's an Amazon thing with six episodes or whatever, and, yeah. you know, and, and animate these stories and stuff, and, and, and they're kind of, like, they vary, because it's, like, I don't, I wouldn't equate it with the Twilight Zone, but their character driven stories but they're also like they can tend to get a little bit twisted or abstract or weird but they're just like pretty amazing stuff like uh, nice. actually now that i think of it i would probably want peter chung involved in some way the guy who did the original eon flux animated series oh not as the call. not yeah. as the not uh, to draw it in that style uh, well he draws in a lot of different styles like he did okay. the one thing that blew my mind was he did the opening uh, animation for the rugrats cartoon um, I actually can see the similarity yeah. in the art styles between so, wait, Aeon Flux. I, the Aeon Flux guy did the Rugrats intro, intro. Yeah. which I think now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, of course he did. It looks kind of like oh, Aeon it's Flux. It's got all the yeah. perspective and the, and the, the weird- Yeah, the like, camera that's never at rest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like that- th- Man, but People I would, who have seen those two shows are listening to this like screaming. Like, <laughs> I know My now. mind is blown. Yeah. I know so much. Well, that's why Tommy yeah. Pickles gets that fly stuck in his eyeball at the yeah, end right. of Rugrats. That was a reference. Like, yeah. And he fires a gun <laughs> Actually, wait a minute. He does fire a gun in the opening, doesn't That's he? That's true. He like fires a, a little Nerf little dart. toy gun yeah. or something. So Rugrats, Rugrats is, is, on, is flux. on Flux. What are we going Holy for? Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> uh, uh, if you watch the episodes in reverse, there are also <laughs> episodes of Eon Flux. Secret. If he was like producing it or something, it'd be really cool because he's, a, he's an animation guy. Yeah, really, really sophisticated interesting animator who will make daring choices and also he uh doesn't care about traditional storytelling he'll do whatever he wants so uh that'd probably be yeah in good hands daniel close also did ghost world which right. uh, was yeah. made into an excellent movie that I recommend as well. Love the comedy. Probably the only Scarlett Johansson role I really enjoy. And then Steve Buscemi is also great in it. Yeah. Kind of sort of related to his style. There's a comic I would pick called Ganges, which is by Kevin Huizanga and, and Fanagraphics put it out. And it's a comic that is about a guy named Glenn Ganges and his wife, Wendy. And they both work from home a lot. And he goes to the library a lot. And he also has trouble sleeping quite a bit. And you just follow his brain as he either reads a library book and has that influence what he thinks about the past or trying to sleep. And then it's all very, very visual and very inventively done in terms of him trying to figure out what life on Earth is supposed to be. But from this very, very, very grounded place where they also do incredible art and work with it that way. It's very, very heady. But I think you could give it to like a Duplass brother and just let them do a little yeah. short anthology of, oh, this is all of the different crazy. Because he'll like read a book about the creation of geology 
and then think back to a friend of his getting fired from a startup they used to work at because they both played too many first-person shooters all Mm -hmm. night at the office, and then also trying to figure out whether he knows that his wife will love him the rest of his life. It's all very, very heady in a way that probably doesn't sound fun. It's super fun. It's great. you You know who I would want to see do that? Who? Francis Ford Coppola. He comes back and he directs that film. <laughs> zombie Coppola. Nah, he's a wine man. <laughs> he's still alive. No, but he's a zombie. You didn't hear? Oh, okay. That's, no, I get it. I get it. I, yes, I, and. He was converted You're failing into an the, the Nazi. Into <laughs> yeah. the, I almost said Nazi. Zombie. He's what in Robert, <laughs> Robert Kirkman's The Walking Coppolas. Yeah. Where, uh, and then the talking Coppolas <laughs> is talking to him yeah. about being a zombie. Yeah. Also, I don't do improv. I do know what. It's a different. It's a different. <laughs> know what? Well, you need that guy. Than yes, and it's a know what? Form. That is an improv role. They usually phrase it as "That's crazy," but whatever. Like there has to be the character goes like. I'm pointing out how nuts the scene is because it's funny to point it out. Yeah. Yet I'm not stopping it from proceeding, even though I act like I wouldn't want it to proceed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is yeah, nuts, this. and I will take a unicorn ride. <laughs> yeah. Sure, that's, called, I guess. I think that's also called lampshading. It's just yeah, like the idea. Man, of, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll get on the unicorns. <laughs> Can't see why not. Michael, do you want to pick out another one? Yeah, I only have two things left, and one is like I'm questioning saying it. But so first, I'll say the freebie, which is Soul Wind by Scott Morse, which I have here, and I'm going to just flip through a little, show my compatriots, also combines a bunch of different art styles. It's all black and white, but like, as you go through, well, I'm flipping to pages that all have the same art style, but I know at the beginning it's different too. Anyway, Scott Morse basically did a Guardians of the Galaxy-esque epic. It is about, now I realize this on the drive-in, it is about an orphan boy taken into space who like has a small furry animal friend and they fight evil like alien stuff and in another way it ends up being a classic epic because ultimately by the end of the 800 pages it's about the balance between the essences that brought everything into existence right you know the only way an epic can end is like it's everything it's everything yep. yeah so yeah it's like uh there's <laughs> celtic gods in it oh, cool. um there's the whole story is told from the point of view of like a little boy tibetan monk so the story could just be in his head while he's, like, meditating on a flower. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And when you're in that part, it's, like, drawn with ink and brush. When you're in space, everything's really realistic looking. When you're in a flashback or flash forward, things are drawn very cartoonishly as if the memories are degraded somehow. And then when the gods are acting, the gods are drawn differently as well. So I would love to see Soul Wind as, like, an HBO or a Showtime series because it's the kind of thing where you would want to rotate directors and you would literally want one of the appeals is it would be like listening to a ween album you're like man that episode's so different than the last episode (laughs) ween's a band with a lot of versatility they just have incredible versatility but basically i mean like every episode would be like well we stepped through a portal and all the characters are the same but the feel of the show is totally different maybe the pacing maybe the art design but really like get different directors in there because I won't go into the details of the story, but the story supports that, right? They're in different realities that feel different at different times. So I would just straight up make it – like you know how Netflix made House of Cards by polling people on who's your favorite actors, who's your favorite directors? And Fincher and Kevin Spacey were near the top and willing to work together, so they went for it. I would just straight up have a poll like who do you want to do Soul Wind? (laughs) I mean it's a good cash grab. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy, the TV show with a rotating cast of great directors. That would be fun. 
Man, Celtic gods, and yet so fun. Towards the end, there's oh, Celtic gods. Okay. Yeah, Hold yeah. your horses. <laughs> Temper those expectations. Yeah. And then, do you guys have more? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Randall, go it. for it. This one's intense. Uh, the Incal. And it's basically, it was kind of the inspiration for The Fifth Element, but it was also, it's, it's like a Jodorowsky story illustrated by Mobius. I was going to ask if it's Mobius. If yeah. you don't know Mobius, just from the name Mobius, Look up his art. It's Mobius beautiful and unique. Is my favorite. Yeah. He's like my favorite ever. And so and who's, he who's Jodorowsky again? Uh, that... He was the guy who was going to direct Dune famously, and oh. and then was not. It was like his dream project. There's a, a oh, documentary man. about it, and I can't even begin to even get into that because it's it's so intense. But so we got uh, some real art, artsy fellas on this one. <clears throat> but he was going to create Dune, and then. I mean, excuse me, he was going to direct Dune, the, the, the film that ended up in uh, the hands of hands. David Lynch. It's this wild sci-fi epic, and basically it was Jodorowsky's ideas of like what he was going to do for Dune, and then just kind of, yeah, we'll just throw those into our own sci-fi. We'll do our own thing and make our own crazy sci-fi epic. And Change it enough just, to make it legally distinct. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and oh man, I just one of, one of my favorite characters in it is the, the Meta Baron, who's the most dangerous assassin in the galaxy, and he's part of a line of assassins who all, like, the Meta Barons are all the, the, the most dangerous guys in the universe, yeah. and they all so, have, like, a, a body part removed when they're young, and this current Meta Baron is missing an ear, so he has this silver module on his head, and in order to capture the the main character who is uh you know i don't want to spoil too much but he he's he's very important to the story it's like it's sort of like dune and then he made it his own thing yeah or, exactly okay, so okay. it's this space epic it's like star wars in the sense that there's no like there's no n- nothing anchoring it to like modern day or anything like yeah it's just some space fantasy craziness but they they kidnap the meta baron's son in order to get him to retrieve the hero and so the the two characters that are kind of at odds with each other are not even really like morally opposed to each other. They're just doing, you know, like one of them is just trying to escape and he's kind of this meek sort of character and the other one's the most dangerous man in the universe. And then there's all these other things at stake and queens and, and royalty, space royalty and, and monsters and sci-fi shit everywhere. And it's like, <laughs> it's just wild. Like they just did, uh, they recently did uh, Valerian. And yeah. I, I wonder why that wasn't in Cal. Or, <laughs> instead uh, yeah in, yeah i was like someone just needs to show it to luke Basson, who can oh, do whatever oh, he wants Basson has seen this book like he, oh, he's, okay. he's he absolutely seen it it's just i don't know what i guess he must have done it in place valerian like predates incal if i'm not mistaken so i guess that one's like the the holy grail but incal is just unbelievable like it's astonishing looking and it would make a yeah. really great movie it sounds very space opera it, it is it's this crazy yeah. space opera but there's something really like practical about the way the character like the way the characters are written and the way it's played out it's like it's really almost like indiana jones-ish or something where it's like the characters are really strong and, and relatable and and feel human but the situations are just wild and you know out there well, i like that and i like that in the world of comics, there's everything from really, really weird takes on superheroes to huge epic things that have zero superheroes to just people hanging around in houses. Like, they've done as big of a range of stuff as movies have done, if not more. Oh, yeah. And we're still mostly just trying to figure out how to make Superman fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which yeah. also is easy. I like Superman. He's great. 
really cool. I think that's just the, 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 the sh- there's only been one director who's ever handled that character and had not been ashamed of it, which is Richard Donner. <laughs> and like every other, every other director yeah. seems to not, they, they seem to wince at the idea of the character. They're like, no, you can't, right. you can't make that guy. He's, <laughs> he's got a stupid cape on and tights. <laughs> and it's like, what? No, yeah. If you're not capable like... of taking silly stuff seriously, don't direct a comic book movie. Yeah. Like I hate when they try to change, like the X-Men, the original X-Men series was the worst at that. They're like, Make all the suits just like black leather and straps. And you're like, then don't make an X-Men movie. <laughs> like, you should like the X-Men and the way they look and what's cool about them if you want to make an X-Men movie. <laughs> Assholes. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Michael Swaim. My thanks to Randall Maynard. My thanks to comic book artists for being just the best. And it's time for some footnotes. This week, our footnotes are basically a comic book store. I recommend looking for these in your local library if you want to save a buck. I tend to check out old stuff from the library and then buy new stuff because you have to. I make the LA Public Library work for me. You do what you're going to do. It's a good time. Also, there's a few extra links to comics that we didn't have time to cover. Michael pushed for an elongated man versus plastic man kind of thing. If you didn't know, elongated man and plastic man are a pair of DC Comics characters that are basically the same character, and they only both exist because of a copyright mix-up. They just forgot they owned the first one. And I think that would be a really fun book where they face off. Also, Randall's a big fan of Martha Washington, which is a Frank Miller character, not the first First Lady of the United States. He's probably a fan of both of them. I mean, who doesn't like Martha Washington? You get it. It's a cool book, and check it out. Anyway, those are in there along with my extra pick, which is Gotham by Gaslight. That is a DC Elseworlds graphic novel drawn by Hellboy creator Mike Mignola, where Batman lives in the late 1800s and fights Jack the Ripper, and it'd be an amazing movie, and... Before we taped, I found out that they're going to make an animated movie of it. That's on the way. So, hey, maybe Hollywood's getting weird in the way I want them to. Really great. Speaking of getting weird, we have Cracked Podcast t-shirts for sale at podswag.com. One of them is the official Schmitty the Clam t-shirt. You can have your pal Al on a t-shirt. And then there's also the Footnotes t-shirt as well. If you love this section, get the shirt that says so. We also have our other shows, Cracked Movie Club, Kurt Vonnegut's, and season one of Cracked Gets Personal, available wherever you get your podcasts. And the only other thing I can say is this is a big September. More fun shows coming your way soon. Watch out for that. And as far as this show goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by The Budos Band. Hear them on Daptone Records. Our episode was engineered and co-produced by Brett Rader. Find Brett at Brett, R-A-D-E-R, on Twitter. And if you love this episode, that is great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, the thing Hollywood puts in a movie's universe to indicate the movie is set in the present. You know, then you know. Anyway, find me presently under the name at Alex Schmitty on Twitter. I'm also on the wider internet and my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. How about that? Talk to you then. Our thanks to Random House, publishers of The Golden House by Salman Rushdie for sponsoring today's episode. Rushdie invokes literature, pop culture, and films. Hey, I like that stuff. 
and spins the story of the American zeitgeist over the last eight years in his ambitious new novel, The Golden House. They call it Equal Parts, The Great Gatsby and The Bonfire of the Vanities. Buy your copy of The Golden House now, available wherever books are sold. I'm H. Michael Cray. And I'm Cuckoo Kulafilayasak, and we are the host of Who Charted, where we discuss the charts in pop culture and get to know our guests. Speaking of great guests, last week we had the wonderful Jason Manzukas. I'm so excited about this one. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. We had such a good time with Jason. We spoke of... Uh, of, of all his work in movie and films, and we had a great time counting down the charts. So make sure you listen to us on Who Charted? This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.com